tonight we're going to be talking about the doctrine of sanctification, and don't worry if you don't understand that word, I will practically break it down for you, but uh, over the last couple weeks we talked about the doctrine of God, who God is, what God is like, His moral and absolute attributes. Last week we talked about the doctrine of salvation, and you'll notice very quickly that the doctrine of salvation flows right into what we're talking about tonight, so it's very important to have somewhat of an understanding or a framework of what we talked about last week. If you weren't here, you can uh, get the audio or the video for that, uh, but they are connected, and so you'll be able to understand tonight if you weren't here or didn't listen in itself, but it's important as they build on one another to have more of a grasp and to get the full picture. You'll see why that's important, but in salvation, to review, um, we believe that Jesus gave his life uh, for us in our place. We call that substitutionary atonement. He gave his life for us in our place that when we believe in his death, burial, resurrection, we're forgiven of our sins, and the Bible says that we're born again. We're given new life. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Our spirit is born again. That's the part of us that is eternal. That's the part of us that will live forever. Our spirit is born again at that point. And as a result of this, we are justified by God. I, I want to explain to you the word justification before we move into sanctification because it's an important word. It's a biblical word. Justification is a legal term whereby a sinner, which would be all of us before we gave our lives to Jesus, but as we give our lives to Jesus, it's a legal term whereby a sinner is pronou pronounced not guilty of their sin and they are declared righteous by God, meaning that they have right standing with God. In uh, the days when I learned what justification was, uh, they would always say, just as if I'd never sinned. So just if I'd never sinned. Just if I'd get, just if I'd never sinned. You now have right standing with God. It sounds funny, but you'll remember it tonight. <laughs> you, I'd probably wake up in the middle of the night, justified, justified. You probably won't do that, but it'd be cool if you did, and you're married, and there's somebody next to you, and see what their response was. But anyways, uh, it, it's where God pronounces that you are right with him, and you are right in his eyes. This is something that God does. Justification is not something you participate in. Salvation is offered to you as a free gift, and by faith, you receive that free gift. So salvation is God's doing in every sense except for you accepting that invitation, except for you receiving what God is giving. That's the only virtue or part that we would ever play, and God is relentless in his conviction towards us and helping us to receive his gift. He is more eager for every person on the planet to know him than we are to know him. And so the Bible says he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. It is the reason, the Bible says, that God is being patient with the world as it is. The reason that he is allowing us to continue to go is because he is wanting everyone to say yes to his good news. That's the, it's the very reason that the Bible gives for why he has not yet returned. He is patient toward us because he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would have everlasting life. And if God wanted everybody to be saved, he could and would do that overnight, but obviously the gospel is being preached. Men and women have an opportunity to say yes or no, receive or reject. And when we say yes to Jesus, we're born again, 
and we are justified, we are pronounced right in God's eyes. That is the work of God. Justification is the work of God, and we don't participate. <laughs> Sanctification is something that God does, and it's something that we participate in according to Scripture. But it's important to have a full understanding of what sanctification is. And first of all, we want to know what the word means. Sanctify, the word sanctify means to separate, to set apart, to consecrate, or to make holy. And I just want to say that again. It means to separate, to set apart, to consecrate, or to make holy. The word holy is synonymous in Scripture with sanctify or sanctification. You need to understand that. Like, for example, in the New Testament, the word holy or sorry, the word sanctify or sanctified is like the verb of the word holy. They are from the same words. They're not just in the same family. They are, in fact, the same words. One is an action of another almost always. And so when I use the word holy tonight, especially as we get further into the teaching, I am talking about sanctification because to be sanctified means that God is making us or has made us holy, as you'll see. It's very important. So these terms in the Bible, holy, sanctification, they're very synonymous, and you'll see them all over the place. Now, just as I did with salvation last week, and I talked to you about the Old Testament understanding of salvation, and it wasn't in an eternal sense. Do you remember how I talked to you about salvation in the Old Testament was about temporary deliverance? It was about protection in a circumstance that somebody was in. And then Jesus came in the New Testament and he started talking about eternity and eternal salvation. That was new concept. It wasn't part of their theological construct. And matter of fact, if you talk to rabbis, you'll find very quickly that they don't have a lot of teaching on eternity. They simply just don't. Um, I, I have heard from, read from, and talked to rabbis before where you'll uh, hear this kind of like, well, whatever eternity is, that's God's business. We just have here and now. And that's why so much of the law or so much of rabbinical teaching is about the practicality of living out the law, the here and the now. That's what you have. That's what you know. That's what you understand. I'm not saying there isn't any teaching whatsoever about eternity, but there's not much. And that's a very fair statement. And yet Jesus comes as a rabbi teaching about eternity. And it was a new teaching, very new for them. The same way I talked to you about that in salvation last week, I want to talk to you about sanctification, and I want to say it to you like this. In the Old Testament, there was a certain understanding of sanctification, or they would sanctify things. This word is used in many different ways. In the first uh, place, well, not the first, but one of the places that it's used, I think I have it there on your notes, uh, is in 1 Chronicles 23, 13. This is where Aaron, uh, which is Moses' brother, Aaron and his tribe were the Levites. They were sanctified as priests unto the Lord. It says this, the sons of Amram uh, were Aaron and Moses, and Aaron was set apart. Again, that's what the word sanctify means. To sanctify him as most holy, he and his sons forever, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name forever. In other words, Aaron... And the tribe of Levi was set apart as holy unto the Lord to minister in the temple. And that was their specific task before God. They were sanctified, set apart for that. Uh, the second is Second Chronicles 35. Israel was called to sanctify themselves as they prepared for the Passover feast. Second Chronicles 35, 6 says, Now slaughter the Passover animals, sanctify yourselves, and prepare for your brethren to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. 
there was this understanding that you needed to set yourselves apart for tomorrow we're going to uh, participate in the Passover. And they would have that at other times too. Uh, you can see that when they were going to go to war. Sanctify yourselves. Another word would be consecrate yourselves for tomorrow we will obey the word of the Lord. You'll see this in Joshua at least twice. So in the Old Testament, you use there's this word sanctify or sanctified used uh, multiple times. Another, w another place you'll see this in Scripture is in Jeremiah chapter 1. The prophet Jeremiah was sanctified as a prophet to the nations before he was born. This is what it says, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, synonymous term, was sanctified and made holy. I consecrated you and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Uh, the Lord is saying to Jeremiah, I set you apart as a prophet before you, before you were born. And so you see this word used time and time again. As always in the New Testament, it, it shifts and takes on a little bit of a different understanding. And this is what matters for us. It does matter. The Old Testament matters to us. But things change a little bit, as you'll see. The Apostle Paul gives a very brief insight into this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is what he says, and I'm going to use this text to kind of continue the rest of the teaching tonight. He says this, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body, you, 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 should, you got to get this. He says, your spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming, this is the second coming, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. In salvation, we talk, to, we talk about this, that when you give your life to Jesus, you're saved. During your Christian life, you're being saved, because there's two words as it refers to salvation. And then when Jesus returns in his second coming, you will be saved. And that is that final salvation where you're physically with the Lord. To understand the word sanctification, or even from a theological sense, you need to understand it's threefold. It's not just, there are a lot of people that confuse uh, biblical words, and so when they try to explain it, they have one definition or one description or one understanding of what it means or what sanctification even means, or whether they have it as positional or progressive or perfect or complete. And we need to understand that sanctification, just like salvation, has three parts to it biblically, and we do well to understand that. So Paul says, may God sanctify you entirely, and he talks about spirit, soul, and body. First, when we become Christians, uh, we are sanctified in our spirit. Remember, we talked about when you're born again, your spirit is born again. How many of you know your physical body is still going to die? So clearly, life isn't on your physical body. Uh, Paul would say it like this, inwardly we are being renewed day by day, but outwardly we are decaying. What is he saying? That the physical body is still going to die. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is very clear that we're going to receive a new body, a resurrected body. So when he talks about you are sanctified, in, in our, as we'll share uh, throughout this teaching, first when we become Christians, we are sanctified in our spirit. This refers to our position before God. You have been sanctified. If you've given your life to Jesus, you have been sanctified. That's positional, and that's our spirit. Second, as we live as Christians, we are progressively sanctified through our soul. This is in our soul. This refers to our conduct, our behavior, our way of life. 
and we'll go into that. So that's called progressive sanctification, positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, and then what I call perfect sanctification. This is the third part about our body. When we die, our body will be fully sanctified in Christ as we're resurrected. So it's positional, progressive, perfect. There's three parts to sanctification. And when you study the New Testament, you'll find like these conflicts with the words sanctify, sanctification, holy, make holy, be holy, you are holy. It seems to say conflicting things. And the reason is because these are different references, and that's why we study these kinds of things. So I want to talk to you specifically through these three parts, spirit, soul, body, positional, progressive, perfect, okay? These are the three areas that we're going to look at. And the first is positional sanctification, the sanctification of our spirit. The Bible's clear regarding those who give their lives to Jesus. It speaks in the past tense. If you're a Christian right now, you've given your life to Jesus, you are sanctified. You are set apart. You are consecrated. You have been set apart for Jesus by Jesus. That has happened. He's put you into that column in terms of who you are, Not necessarily how you live, but who you are. You have been sanctified. It's very clear. We're set apart for relationship. We're made holy through his son. And we're consecrated for, excuse me, for God himself. Positional sanctification is something that God does through our salvation. It's not something that we participate in. Now, there's lots of references. Are you ready for the references? I need some excitement as I read all of these Bible verses, okay, because I need you to not tune out when I read the Bible verses because it's important that you hear the word, not my explanation of it, but this is what the Bible says about positional sanctification. You're going to see past tense terminology. Grammar is important. Acts 20, 32 says, and now I command you, or sorry, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. You are sanctified, past tense. Romans 15, 15 says, but I have written you very boldly uh, on some points as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the Gentiles coming to know Christ. This would be a past tense term. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is where Paul um, writes a basic greeting, you know, like to a letter. uh, When you would open a letter, he, he does that with all of his letters. He has a greeting in the beginning, and this is what he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Remember, past tense, have been. This is something that has taken place. This is something you are, is you are sanctified. You are set apart. You are consecrated. You have been made holy before God through your salvation. And he goes on to addressing them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, later on in the letter, Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. I mean, he just, this is a big laundry list, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. Uh, Will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. You were this. This is what you were as an identity. This is who you were as a person. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and by the Spirit of God. He's saying, you were this before God. You were all of these things as a label, as a title. It's what you were positionally. But you've been washed. You've been sanctified. It's no longer who you are. He's not even referring to conduct right now necessarily. He's referring to person. It's very important, this reference. Hebrews 10.10, this is the last one. By this we will have been sanctified By what? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Because Jesus died. It's not like in the Old Testament where the blood of bulls and goats, uh, some kind of animal sacrifice, but Jesus' death given for us causes us to be sanctified when we receive and accept that offering, when we participate in that offering of Jesus. He's saying, you have been sanctified. So in other words, as as I've been saying It's very, very clear that positionally, those who are Christians are and have been sanctified. Every Christian has been. We are set apart by him, in him, for him. This is not a work of human effort. You won't read it that way. It's not conditioned on your obedience. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? So when we think about our relationship with God, when we think about theology, Giving your life to Jesus means that you start in a place where you are right with God, you are set apart by God, you are set apart for God, and now the call of sanctification, as you read about it in the New Testament, whenever you read the word sanctification or sanctified or make holy or be holy, whenever you hear an admonition, he's not referring to position, he is referring to progression your growth in Jesus. Your position is set. Your position is secure. That's a work of God's Spirit. It is sealed. It's done. He's done that on your behalf. Now, from that place, you and I learn to live in holiness in keeping with what God has already done. And it's important that you realize that that is where we start. We start on the unconditional love of God not based on our obedience. And it is this kind of love and it is this kind of work of God's Spirit that compels us and causes us to live in keeping with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's the work of His grace that does this and promotes this. Now, here's the thing that we need to know, though. Paul calls us spirit, soul, and body. So there is a work of what we call progressive sanctification, And in the New Testament, we find tons of passages and references that cannot be ignored, and they cannot be put into the wrong column. We're rightly dividing the word of truth so that we understand what the Bible is trying to tell us and not mixing all of these references together. It speaks of progressive sanctification all over the place. It says to us many, many times that you and I have the need of spiritual growth to become more and more like Jesus Christ. It speaks to us that we still have the capacity to sin. Because you've been made right, made right with God, because you've been set apart for God, does not mean that you live like God. It means that you can live like God. It means that now you're no longer a slave to sin like you once were. The Bible says in Romans 6 that we were slaves to sin. Sin was our master, and we, we couldn't perform righteousness. We couldn't live out the righteousness that came through the law. And so Jesus came and as a perfect man, lived perfectly sinless. We talked about that last week. 
And he fulfilled the requirements of the law on our behalf. And so through salvation, we're given a new nature. We're restored back to right relationship with God where we can hear his word. And at the same time we hear his word, we now have power to live his word out. Instead of what used to take place as a non-Christian, we hear his word and it condemns us automatically because we don't have the power to live it out. That's what the law did. The law caused us to see that we were sinners, that we could not perform righteously before God. It wasn't possible. We weren't capable. That's the cycle of death. That's why we needed to be reborn. We see how these kind of flow together. Salvation flows into sanctification. You, you understand how that happens. And so progressive sanctification is where you and I cooperate with the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life as we yield to him in daily life. And this is where people can be Christians and utterly live for themselves and not for the Lord. People can believe in Jesus and live for themselves. So positionally, they're right with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not based on their obedience, but they live a terrible, chaotic life because they don't yield their, their hearts and their lives and their time and their attention and their affection to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you end up as a carnal Christian. It's what the Bible calls us, a carnal Christian. Now, everybody starts young, and we grow into the things of the Lord, okay? We grow into the knowledge of God. We grow into the way of God. You don't start out at 100%. You start out here, and you grow in faith. You grow in love. You grow in your understanding. The Bible gives us a license to grow. It does not give us a license to sin. It gives us a license to grow, and so time and time again, we read these references about what we would call progressive sanctification. And more references than not are really about holiness or to be made holy. And I keep going back to this verse, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 12 and 13, which has helped me in my walk with God to understand this better. And this is what Paul says to the Philippian church. He says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, listen to this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It, it, it kind of gives that tension of what's my part and what's God's part. What is God doing and then what is God asking me to do? This is the question that many have as they walk their life in Jesus. What part am I responsible for? Uh, with the message of grace today, you basically uh, almost hear that God's the one that does everything, and yet you see people living utterly carnal lives, really no different from those that don't believe in Jesus. Well, well how, why is that? How is that? Honestly, it's because that we haven't gotten a hold of what it means to day by day grow in the ways uh, of Jesus Christ and being led by the Holy Spirit. That's very clear from Scripture. In this particular passage, Paul says God is at work, and we need to work out what God is working in. And there's a cooperation that he speaks of as, a regard, as it uh, pertains to our salvation, as it pertains to our walk with God. And this actually is a picture of what sanctification looks like. God has done a work in us, and God is doing a work in us. The Holy Spirit is leading us. The Holy Spirit is guiding us. The Holy Spirit is prompting us. He's convicting us of righteousness. He's con he's, uh, the Bible says that he's leading us into all truth. And so we're learning to follow and yield to the Holy Spirit in our life. We either are or we are not doing that. 
And part of what theology is, is to understand what God is doing and to understand what we are called to do. And then from that place of understanding, not just knowledge, but understanding, we take steps of faith uh, to do the very thing that God is calling us to do. So we are working out what God is working in, all right? There is a level of cooperation, and it's not in justification, and it's not in positional sanctification, but it is as we walk in Jesus, the Bible calls us to live more and more like him, excuse me. So we're commanded and we're commissioned to work out what God is already working in. And this working out is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I hope I'm explaining this correctly, or I mean, in my mind it, it makes sense, but I'm hoping it makes sense to all of you, that what God is doing inside of us, he is giving us the capacity and the ability to live as we've never been able to live before. He's giving us what we need by his grace, by his power, to live in his righteousness. And so a lot of times people make a lot of excuses. This is what we do. By the way, you're part of the uh, human, you have uh, participated in the human condition, okay? And we just, well, you know, everybody sins. Well, you know, everybody's going to mess up once in a while. You know, when we say that kind of stuff, what it does is it actually it, it reveals our thinking. Our thinking tells us that what I did is okay because, by the way, everybody's going to do it. Your thinking ought to be biblical, and your biblical thinking would say, God has given me power to live beyond this and above this. Now, I'm not saying that you won't at times sin, but if your automatic reaction to you sinning is that it's okay to sin because, by the way, everybody's going to do it. Something is wrong with your thinking, and God wants to change the way that you think. If you don't think God's given me power to usurp this and overcome this, friends, I'm telling you, you're going to find yourself around the mountain again and again and again. The cycle will not stop. It doesn't matter how old you get. It doesn't matter how many years you've known the Lord until you are liberated by truth, and that is what you choose to believe. Progressively, you will not be sanctified, and you will not grow in Christ the way that I know you desire to and I desire to. It's not possible. Truth sets us free. Truth liberates our mind, and when our mind is liberated, our, our ability to live is made available. What we live in is based on what we think. And you'll see that very clearly in some of the passages. So it's very important that we understand progressive sanctification is a call to live holy, first in our thinking, and secondly in our conduct, because our conduct comes from our thinking. And I sit with enough people to know that we've got a lot of excuses about the way that we live. We've got a ton of excuses for the way that we live. And the way that you first start to get free is stop making excuses. You don't need to make excuses because Jesus has already paid a price for you. Every excuse that we make keeps us and hinders us from our growth in Christ. That's all that it does. Jesus has already paid. We've got nothing to prove. You don't have to prove anything to me. You don't have to prove anything to God. The perfect sacrifice has been made. No excuses are needed. We've just got to be laid bare before God so that God can work with where we are, with what we are, and help us grow from there. Too often what we do is we hide where we are, we lie about where we're at, and we never start at start so that we can continue. That's the problem is we hide. And when you hide, you can't grow. And so it's, it's, it's absolutely uh, fundamental to our progressive sanctification that we start where we really are and we grow from there. 
all right? Vulnerable, honest, confession, it's important. So the call of holiness is progressive sanctification, and it doesn't happen automatically. It is this lifelong growth in Christ where you and I look more and more like Jesus. There is no greater goal than to be like Jesus. It doesn't matter. I mean, people have this goal, like, I want to be a pastor, I want to be a worship leader, I want to be a business leader, or I want to have this, or I want to be that, I want to be a mom, I want to be a dad. We have these goals, and, and we think, like, if I just get that thing, it doesn't matter what that thing is. There's nothing greater than to have a goal of being like Jesus, because you will always be driven to grow. You will never fully obtain it. That's why every day you get up, and you have to yield to God. You have to yield to the Holy Spirit, because you don't have what you're after, but you can continue to grow into what he's given to you through dependence on the Holy Spirit. I, I've, I think it's kind of funny. I, I think we, we pray prayers and we sing songs about trusting God, but then we don't trust God for anything beyond what we can do in the flesh. Oh my gosh, did I say that? I did. We sing, make me brave, but we've got no mountain to scale. Because there's nothing bigger than just waking up in the morning and brushing our teeth and making it to work. You understand? I mean, you make me brave. I'm no longer a slave to fear. And yet our fear is mostly internal. And so we don't even realize what that fear might even be in our life. What giant are we actually facing? And so we don't really know what we're up against. And I'll tell you, I can tell it to you from the spiritual warfare aspect. I would say it to you like this. The devil... He, I think he understands some of this better than we often do, and we need to change that. That's why we're here. That's why we read the word. Okay, okay, that's why we read the word. And the enemy tries to destroy our life. The first thing he'll do is stop us from being converted. So in whatever way that he can, one of the ways he would do that is deceive the church that it's not their responsibility to preach the gospel. If the enemy can deceive the church where it's all about you and it's not about what you're carrying for the world, if he can stop you right there, guess what? The gospel doesn't go out and people don't get saved. And that, by the way, is one of the ways that the devil is in the church. That is right where he is right there. So a lot of preachers preaching a bunch of foolishness, self-help doesn't work. It doesn't actually help, by the way, and that's why we don't listen to it. Now, I'm not saying there aren't good stuff out there. We all want to be positive and not negative, and, you know, God bless that. But I'll tell you, you want to be spirit-filled is what you want to be. You want to be delivered, you want to be saved, and you want to be on your way to sanctification to look like Jesus because that's the only thing that makes a person happy truly. And so it's important. The devil's trying to stop conversion, and if he can't win that, we're all here, we're saved, he'll just try to help us to live religious lives. So it'll come from these messages. The Bible calls them doctrines of demons. And we think doctrines of demons are like black magic. It's not black magic. It has nothing to do with the Harry Potters of the world, or I don't know what people are into. You understand, like the, 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 the seemingly easy to pick off uh, magic or that people are always, oh my gosh, that's where the stuff is in the church. I'll tell you where it's at in the church. It's the half-truths. It's the half-truths. It's this kind of stuff. You know, everybody's going to sin. You know, Johan, everybody's going to sin once in a You know, don't, don't take it so hard on yourself. Now, now, you don't need to take it hard on yourself, but you need to take it to the cross. That's why Paul says this, he uses violent language. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live is by faith in the Son of God. He's not being cute. He's not just being poetic. He's using violent language. 
The life that I live is by faith in the Son of God because that old person that I was is crucified. It is dead. And when you, I mean, in their culture, 30,000 people were crucified. They saw people on a cross. I mean, we have it like on tattoos and, and chains and whatnot, but we, or, or, or bumper stickers, but they actually saw people die on a cross. They saw them. They would leave them there for a couple days. This was the Persian um, execution, and it, and it became the form of punishment from the Romans, and that's how many people that they would kill. They would have them up on a hill to be an example to everybody, and when he talks about being crucified, when he talks about putting his flesh to death, that's what he's talking about. He's not being cute with it. He's being violent. You remember when Jesus talked about sin? You know, um, it's funny because we, we, um, we talk about the word sin, and we use the Greek word. I love it when people do that. They go, well, you know, the Greek for the word sin means to miss the mark. You know, it's kind of like an archer, and he shoots in it, and he doesn't hit the bullseye. You know, Jesus wasn't a Greek, first of all. All right? You need to understand that. Jesus wasn't a philosopher, and he wasn't being casual when he talked about sin. He was violent. When Jesus talked about sin, he, was, he used violent terminology. I'm not saying he was He was used violent terminology. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. You're following a Savior who told you to gouge out your eye if it caused you to sin. Anybody read that recently? Did you get that on a Christmas card? Tis the season. Did that happen? Those of you on live stream, don't get the spoons just yet. I'm just saying, Jesus wasn't a Greek, and he didn't talk about sin in cute terms. Like, you know, it's just kind of missing the mark. Everybody does it. That's not what he said. He said, if your eye causes you to sin gouge it out. Listen, if your foot causes you to sin, hack it off. I mean, anybody, have you read these verses, or do you think I'm making this stuff up? You'd have thought I made it up. That's our Savior. He, what he was trying to say is, this is what's going to destroy you. Jesus speaks, and he has our best interest in mind, always. Every word from Jesus, even if it's a hard word, is a good word, because it's exactly what we need. Paul would use the same language. Paul would talk about reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And you can do that because Jesus paid a price for you to be set free. He never allowed people to think less than what he was saying. He never allowed people to think that it was just going to happen. He, did, he didn't allow that. He was always that guy that's like, get up, get out of that. Get up. You can do this. It wasn't, we hear it in a condemning way. That's not how he was saying it. He was trying to charge people like a sergeant would charge a soldier. Get out of that bunker, get up, get your gun in your hand, and go for it. We're in a war. He was talking to them in serious terms because he needed to. And I think that's, well, that's not necessarily popular today. It's a lot of the Bible. It's a ton of the Bible. You know, you don't want a Band-Aid. You don't. You don't want a Band-Aid. You, uh, you want a total solution. You want a cure. That's what you want. That's what we want. I don't want a Band-Aid. I don't want a quick fix. I want a cure. And Jesus gives us the cure. The cure is putting that part of us to death. And he has done that, but he calls us to participate with him in progressive sanctification through the choices that we make. It's important that you realize that we have been restored back to choice. Adam and Eve, isn't it amazing how people say Adam and Eve were perfect? And yet, 
they had the ability to sin, didn't they? They were perfect, that's what we say. We call this, I, call, I told you in, I think last week, there was the probationary period where God allowed them to have a choice. They were without sin, but not without the capacity to sin because they did sin. So when you and I are restored back to God through Jesus Christ, we are restored back to a condition before God where we are in right standing with God because of Jesus' righteousness and not our own. So therefore, if you and I sin, we are not brought out of right standing with God at that point, but we are going to perpetuate a lifestyle which Jesus paid a price to bring us out of. And when we do that, we continue to live in guilt, shame, and condemnation, and as a result of that, we hide, we hide, we hide, and we make excuses, even theological excuses, for why we are the way that we are. All the while, we are hurting ourselves. That is all that is happening is you and I are hurting ourselves and the only person that wins is the devil. That is the only person that wins. I'm preaching to you the truth. I am telling you this is how it works. If the enemy can get us to believe lies, he wins. And so he tries to stop our growth in Christ. If he can stop our growth in Christ, you better believe the gospel will never be preached. Because there's a people that are constantly feeling guilty about what they're not living in. So how can I speak about the good news that's delivered me when I know that I'm not delivered? It's not going to happen. And so if you are progressively getting delivered and changing and growing and you're part of a community where you're honest and you're laid bare and you're not ashamed and you're not afraid because you don't have to be because you're living right before God. So who cares what anybody else thinks about you? And you're just living honestly and openly. And yeah, you got some stuff, but you're on your way. You're getting delivered of all that progressive sanctification as you live that life, you will share the good news because the good news is really working out his goodness in you. And you're not ashamed because you know it's truth. You know it's true. It's not just for you uh, to, for heaven someday, but it's for today. And you know that. I'm not the guy that I was 18 years ago. I know that for a fact. It's why I can preach boldly. I don't preach boldly because I like to hear my voice. I don't preach boldly because I think I'm a good preacher. I preach boldly because I'm not the man that I was. Jesus did that. And when I cooperate with him, I've learned that he's given me the power to obey. And when I obey him, I continue to grow. But you've got to yield yourself day in and day out. And you might have a bad day, but you get up and you put that part of you to death and you keep going. Because there's more than that. And so this is part of what I was trying to tell you about progressive sanctification. Lots of Bible verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 this is what he says, therefore, having these promises, he's just declared to them the promises of God, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Because God has given us promises, it compels us and causes us by his power to cleanse ourselves and perfect holiness in God. Holiness, consecration, being set apart, sanctification. It compels us. What God has done for us compels us to continue. Right? So amazing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. Now we're not in ignorance anymore. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. In all that you do, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
He calls them not to this positional, that's already established. He calls them to this progressive growth in Christ. Be holy in everything you do. Do not go back. Don't go back. Whatever you do, don't go back. Don't, don't be conformed to what you were. And you don't have to. So you got to buy that. You have to believe that. When people come into my office and they start to talk to me about an issue, one of the first things I ask them, this is always the case, do you believe that God can help you with this issue? Do you believe that God can deliver you? If you don't, we've got to start with what you believe because whatever I tell you doesn't matter unless you in your heart by the word of God believe that God is capable, able, and willing to do for you what you clearly cannot do for yourself. He will help you. Do you believe that, yes or no? And until they say yes confidently, we can't move on. And the way you say yes is get the word into you. It's not your own words. It's not self-help. It's not, do you think that's going to happen? It's the word says it will. It goes back to why we believe the word, why God gave us the Bible. And that's, what I, that's part of my issue is that if Christians would just know the Bible, if we could know the word, friends, I am telling you, it would begin to change every one of us in this room. Not we did read the Bible. I, ben, I used to really be in the Bible. doesn't matter. Are we in the word today? There is so much for us in the word. God will transform us. Say, Ben, people ask me all the time, like, how do you... Uh, how do you do that, or how do you do this? I'm like, I, 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 I can't give you like this routine schedule. Well, I wake up at five, and then I eat superfoods, you know, and then I jump on the elliptical, and then I just pound the weights, and, and, then, and then I open the Bible for five minutes, and then I throw a couple Hail Mary prayers to God, and then, you know, I mean, I, it's not a routine. <laughs> it's the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the family of God. This is how we grow, and it's, it's not a secret. It's not difficult to understand. It's just we need the grace to follow through. So when we gather, this becomes like a power plant of God's presence for you and I to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to encourage one another as we see the day approaching. Encourage one another towards what? To become like the one that we're following. Didn't Jesus say in Mark chapter 8, he said, if you desire to follow me, you must first disown yourself, deny yourself, dethrone yourself, and then take up your cross, which is an instrument of death. Take up your cross and then follow me. If you're not willing to already put it all on the line, you got to start there because you're not going to be perfect through the journey. And you're going to have to go back to that commitment that you're making because you made it. I am committed to following Jesus. I'm not committed to following self. So whenever you see that that's what you're doing, whenever you realize that life is about you, you've got to right there say, I'm not going to live for myself. And I'm going to put to death selfish ambition. It's why on the onset of following Jesus, he calls us, the Savior calls us to this very thing in the beginning of our relationship with him. Because he knows what's best for us. He knows how our life is going to be changed and transformed. It's through this kind of understanding, this kind of commitment. And he will help us to see this commitment through. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, where Paul gives his infamous talk on sexual immorality that makes a lot of folks squirm. And I'm sure it made them squirm considerably. He says at the end of saying, to be pure and to be sexually pure, he says, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. In other words, your sexuality 
and every other thing that we're called to in purity, your sexuality is being sanctified. And if you're not giving yourself over to that, if people in our world, if people in our lives are just saying, well, it just doesn't matter, you know, we're going to do this anyways, and you're not married, or you are married and you're doing things that you shouldn't, or whatever, it's not, it's not part of God's plan for your sexuality, or whatever part of your life that needs to be sanctified, he specifically targets that one. And he said, you're not called for impurity, you are called for sanctification. And he defines that or describes that by saying, each person should know how to possess their own vessel. That is a very poetic way of saying, you should be able to control your compulsions. And if you ever feel animalistic, which if there's anything that degrades us to animalistic compulsion, it is our sexuality that has been defiled. It degrades that to animal, animalistic tendencies. You know, uh, do I, I won't describe things, but you understand what I'm saying. Where we have compulsions and we're compelled and it reduces us down to just animalistic behavior. Think about that for a minute. That's exactly what that is. That's what that looks like. That's why we're ashamed if we have secrets behind closed doors. Because we can't change that. The Holy Spirit can change that. The Holy Spirit gives us power to say no to ungodliness. It is by His grace, the Bible says, that He gives us the ability to say no. And this is progressive sanctification. Our transformation... God is committed to it. He is committed to it more than we are. How do we live in progressive sanctification? Three quick things. Pursue holiness in, in your life. Number one, Hebrews 12, 14 says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, which is again to be consecrated, set apart in your conduct, in the way that you live, for God, unto God. Pursue sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Wow, that's pretty serious. In other translations, it specifically says, pursue a holy life before a holy God. Pursue a holy life before a holy God, which is possible because he's given us the Holy Spirit. And we have to be reminded of that because it's not a, a grunt this one through and feel bad because you know you're going to fail tomorrow. It is that you have the greatest power on the planet to do what the Bible says. And so every command, every admonition in scripture on how to conduct yourself or how to live your life, every single one of them is based on the truth and the fact that God has given you what you need to live it out. And that's a fact. The second way that we live in progressive sanctification before God is we walk by the Spirit of God. One of my favorite verses, Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Every thinking person should ask the question, how do I walk by the Spirit then? If, if all I got to do is walk by the Holy Spirit and I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the next question that you have to have is, how do I walk by the Spirit? And by the way, none of us in this room, including myself and everyone, does not own the block on how to walk by the Spirit. We are learning how to walk by the Spirit. We're learning that. And here we are seeing this passage so powerful. He says, the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. In other words, if you're not living by the spirit, you're simply going to fall into the default of living by the flesh. Which is basically living the way you did without Christ. You can be a believer in Jesus and a practical atheist in your life. It's possible. 
For example, if we respond, and now if this stuff strikes you a little bit, just receive the conviction, amen? Just, like, conviction only helps us this side of heaven, <laughs> really. There's the, okay, so just receive it. If, it. if it strikes you good, it's good for us. It's good for us to be challenged. Without challenge, there's no growth. I mean, there's no, I mean, seriously, right? I mean, anybody ever tried to lose a pound in their life? I mean, besides me, all right? If you've ever tried to lose weight, you know, it's like, I got to eat right. I got to go to the gym. I got to listen to this peppy, super whatever person who basically maybe works out once a week and looks like this, you know? I mean, okay. But anyways, and, you're, and they're giving me advice, and I know, I know they just got back from fast food, and they're talking to me like they do it too. No, I'm just, not everybody. But you know, it's like, there's some people just born like that. I don't, I don't get it. It's not fair. God is not fair. But, but, right, if you've ever had to lose a pound, you get it. You understand that, like, it's hard work, right? But you're not doing it just because it's hard. You're doing it because there's something for you at the end. You're healthy. You're in better shape. You are where you want to be. But the steps to get there, they're tough. I've been in that fluctuation, like, my whole life, I swear. It was like prophesied over me, like, you're going to fluctuate in your weight and struggle your whole life. It's amazing. That's how, where I've been, you know, and so I appreciate anybody that's ever tried to lose a pound, and for you people that never had to do that, I just, there's a special place for you. <laughs> in my meetings, in the back, or whatever, but anyways, no, I'm just, uh, so, but the thing about walking by the Spirit is that we learn, it's not, it, it, there's a cooperation, He's leading us, he's guiding us, he's speaking to us, his word is clear to us. He invites us in and then he gives us, the Holy Spirit is the power of God living inside of us that helps us to take those steps and to do the hard work that looks like hard work. But you've got to be in your mind convinced of the truth that it's not hard unless you try to do it yourself. It's not hard unless you try to do it yourself because in yourself you can't. So it's important, we walk by the Spirit, we cannot live a holy life without the leadership and the power of the Spirit. And we say that and remind ourselves of that all the time. We must. And the third thing is to renew your mind. I, I've preached this before to many of you, Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, based on what God has done in Jesus, to present your bodies a living, a living and holy sacrifice, a consecrated sacrifice before God, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. So he's essentially saying, don't be conformed to the pattern. Like my shirt has a pattern on it. The world has a pattern. It has a way about it. And if you're not being transformed, you will be conformed. That's what he says. And so if you're being transformed, progressively being sanctified, holy before God in your conduct, that he is growing and developing you, in the way in which the Bible tells us that we grow and develop, which is clear, it's by the word of God, it's by the spirit of God, it's by the people of God. We need disciplers in our life. That's why we come to stuff like this. We need voices in our life. Can I say it to you like this? The voices in your life will affect the choices in your life. That's why if you don't have voices in your life, your choices are left to yourself. It's easy to hide. If you do not have voices challenging you in your life, if you do not have disciples in your life, pray for those, ask for those, look for those, even the ones that you don't always like. Don't look for the perfect, people are always looking for the perfect discipler. I, I, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. You're never going to get that person. 
Or like you pursue the person that's the busiest person on the planet and you wonder why. Don't, don't wonder why. You chose the busiest person on the planet to be your disciple. That's why you're struggling in getting one. Choose somebody that's got more time or somebody that's in front of you or just accept whoever's there. But we need to renew our minds and that's going to happen in the word. That's going to happen by the spirit. And that's going to happen when we've got people challenging us and we open our lives to them. And that never stops. You don't get to a place where you don't have to do that. You don't like grow out of that place. Well, I understand why young people do that. No, we always need that. All of us, we need that challenge. We need that voice because the voices in our life affect the choices in our life. So if we get a hold of the voices, if we get a hold of the voices, we will get a hold of the better choices that we're looking for. I guarantee you that. If not initially, eventually, we will. It will happen. God's word is not void. I would tell you right now, one of the reasons why people don't grow is they give up too soon. They give up too soon. We give up, all right? And here's the thing. The Bible says, do not, Galatians 6, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary. Did you know you can grow weary? Weariness doesn't happen overnight. It's something that develops in you. We grow to a place of weariness where we stop giving, we give, we give less and less and less to God and more and more and more to self or something else. And when that happens, our power only has so much capacity. And you run yourself down and you exhaust yourself emotionally, physically, every other way, spiritually. You're not filled up and built up and so you're depleted. And when you're depleted, the, the tank is empty and you have grown to a place of weariness. But you can't see it as like it's a bad season or a bad weekend. What happened strategically was one day after another of choice after choice after choice that brought us to the place that we are today. And to repent from that place or to turn from that place means that we have to acknowledge that we've actually been in somewhat, uh, in somewhat compromise for a season of time. I'm not saying that tragedy was your compromise. Sometimes a tragedy will smash you upside the head. That would be the exception to what I'm saying. But I mean like a real tragedy, not like a hangnail, Okay. I mean like a real tragedy that really sideswiped you. That happens, but that being the exception, uh, like a really weird illustration would be that, you know, if somebody fell off a cliff, they had to walk all the way up, you understand? I mean, with every step, they already got to the top. That's how that would happen. And, and when people fall into an affair, a married person, it's amazing. It's like, I don't know people around them. I don't know how this happened. I know how it happened. I'll tell you right now how it happened. One day after another, compromising. That's exactly how it happened. Let's not get stupid about this. This is exactly what happens to all of us. It will happen. I'm sorry I said a word I shouldn't have said. There's a child in here. I apologize for that, Mom. All right. But that's how it happens. It's one step after another. It's one conversation after another. It's one wink after another. It just doesn't stop. You've got to stop it. You've got to cut the cycle of whatever your thing is. If it's drinking, you've got to stop the drinking. You can't drink. Don't drink. Don't have one beer. Don't have one glass of wine. They say, and, and then we negotiate. We always, oh, well, you know, it's okay. It's just one glass. That one glass always leads you to the place you don't want to be. Sure, one glass of wine's fine, one glass of, or one beer is fine, but if that's not you, don't try to be that. Holiness before God. Here we are fighting this alcohol struggle instead of living in our purpose before God. People fighting the wrong fight. It's like, I can't stop the internet stuff. Get rid of the computer, whatever you got to do. I had a young person come up to me. I'm talking to you about holiness, progressive sanctification. I knew I was going to get a little 
like this tonight because I think this is an area where we lose our minds. This is an area where we stop thinking. This is an area where we, for whatever reason, we, we, we act like grace is going to turn on at some like miraculous point that we don't have to be involved in. It's not going to happen. Person after person after person. I meet with people all the time, and, 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 and I'm compassionate, and I'm in a process too. And that's part of why I get it. That's part of why I understand the struggle and how real it is. That's why I get it. But I also know that there's no casualness that's going to solve anybody's problem. I know that. I know that. I know that. I know that. If Jesus said, cut your, uh, cut your leg off, gouge your eye out, he was serious. All right? So that's how we deal with stuff. Execution style. That's how we deal with the sin in our life. I would tell you, if you really want uh, to live a holy life, and what I mean is not just for the sake of holiness, but for the sake of purpose. To live a holy life is not about just being holy and God being approved of me. It's so that you're focused on what God has you to be focusing on. When God wants us to be set apart, it's we stop struggling with the sin stuff and we deal with it the way we're supposed to so that we are now sharing the gospel and reaching people and being generous and loving people and doing all that we're called to do and we're not having this little struggle that makes us feel guilty anymore. We're done with that or we're honest about that and we're growing out of that. That's the point of, of living a holy life before God. It's not to be holy to be approved. We're already approved. And so we're living a holy life because this is what distracts us from the very purposes that we're set apart for. It's not just about what we're saved from. It's what we're saved for. And I think the reason that a lot of people don't ever get to this is because they just continue to fight the wrong battles. This battle Jesus has already conquered, but we've got to appropriate it. We've got to believe the truth and, and, and profess and pray the truth over those situations. He's set me free of this. This is not supposed to be my struggle. I need to be a new man. I need to be a new woman. And then we invite the voices into our life, and we get the word of God into our life, and we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us out of these places, but we don't get into a fetal position uh, behind closed doors and then uh, publicly act like nothing's wrong. That's not going to help us. You, you understand? And you say, Ben, you're being a little extreme. I'm telling you, this is, this is what happens. This is what happens. And we don't grow. And I don't want that. I, I simply, simply put, I just don't want that for anybody. I don't want anybody's life to be destroyed. Now, I've got to <clears throat> kind of bring this to um, a close. Here, here's how some of this works out, though, okay? So financial trouble happens to your life. You lose your job. You were secure in your job. You thought, man, I'm going to have this job forever. I, I, I'm secure. Paycheck in, paycheck out. Nothing's ever going to change. This is great. I'm set up. I'm secure. I've got my degree. I'm loved at this company. I can never see myself losing this job. Nothing will ever happen. Then, bam, it happens to you. Happens to you. And you never saw life outside of this context. It was your security blanket. It's what you thought. It's how you looked at your future. It was a filter, and you didn't even know it. It happens to us. Or those that were builders or contractors or lenders back in 2005, 6, and 7, uh, you know, you never saw it coming. You, you thought that this was going to boom and go on forever, and real estate agents were, were making hand over fist money, writing deals on their cars, thinking, this is amazing, I'm making tons of money, this is awesome, and then bam, no more houses, no more building, no more sales, no more loans, nobody knows what's going to happen. 
It happened to a lot of us, and it will happen to some of us at times. And it doesn't mean God's not blessing us. His blessing isn't reduced to just materialism. It's in those places we really find that God does actually provide for us outside of our own security. That's where we really find that trusting of God when we're not trusting in something. And I'm not saying we all need that, but that, let's say that happens to you, and it happens to your next-door neighbor. Now, your neighbor's an agnostic at best. They don't believe in Jesus. They think there's something out there, the pie in the sky, but they don't believe it has a name and a face and lived and died on a cross and rose again. They, they just don't believe that. That's your neighbor. You're friends with your neighbor. You like your neighbor. Great. Everything's good. You, you guys are cool. You mow their lawn sometimes. They mow yours. And both of you lose your job, your security blanket at the same time. All right? And you act the same way that they act. They respond, and you and them have a small group where you complain about how God must not love you anymore because he wouldn't have done this to you if he did. Now I'm telling you, I'm, I'm looking you in the face, I'm saying that is exactly what happens to us. And God is bigger than that. And what he's calling us to in our holiness, what he's calling us to in our progressive sanctification is not just don't touch this and don't do that and don't look at that and don't watch that. It's bigger than that. It's not just what we don't do, it's also what we do. It's out of that sinful behavior, but into living righteously. And so we have these scenarios happen, and our neighbor acts one way, and then we act the same way. And it's, it's in that moment we put a pulse, it's a metric of where our true Christianity is. And God calls us up. He calls us beyond that. He will, he will provide for us. He will be more to us. But we've got to stop struggling with our view of God and secure ourselves in the truth that God is our provider, and then we start praying instead of complaining. We stop wondering where God was, and we start looking at where God is. This is what sanctification will do to us. And we're still on the prayer team laying hands on people for jobs and everything else because even though we need it, we know that they do too, and God surely can provide for all of us. He's the Father of us all. And this is what sanctification is about. It's about setting us free from our former lusts, our former way of life. The Bible calls the old man or woman, calls us the old person, and sets us free to, be, to live in the new nature that we've been given in Jesus Christ. And we take one step after the other, and we are no longer living the way that we once did. Life's going to come. Scenarios are going to happen. And it's not proof or a lack of proof that God loves us or he's there for us. He proved that he loved us. He showed us his love towards us. And when we pray, we pray in the knowledge of God's love for us already, rather than somehow trying to get it when we already know that we have it. All right, so I'm trying my best to help you see what I see, and hopefully that's helpful to you. The third part is perfect sanctification. This is our body, spirit, soul, body, positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, and perfect sanctification. And this simply means or refers to the believer being set apart physically at death or at the second coming of Christ. You are going to be raised from the dead. I mean, I don't know the last time I heard that message. Maybe at Easter. That was it, once a year, our token message of resurrection. And that's fair. Um, and we're going to do it again every year we do. Listen to what Philippians chapter 3 says as I close. This is what it says. Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state 
into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even uh, that that he has even to subject all things to himself. Isn't that amazing? He talks about he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. This is perfect sanctification. It's just like salvation. We were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved at the second coming. Sanctification, we have been sanctified, we've been set apart, consecrated unto God. We are being sanctified in our conduct, in our soul, the way in which we live, the way we conduct ourselves to be more and more like Jesus, and we will be sanctified fully and completely, physically set apart for the Lord and all that glory has to bring to us, which we know very little about, but we're excited for one day. So all of this is true when it comes to sanctification. Now, if I, if I were to close this message, which I am, and I were to say one very important thing to you, which I will, it would be this. I believe that God is calling us to holiness so that you and I can pursue the purposes that best glorify Him and not ourselves. The Bible says that so clearly. I, I don't, I don't understand why people sometimes don't preach holiness. Maybe they're afraid of what people will think that means. But to preach holiness, separation unto God, consecration unto God, means that we are talking about setting our lives apart, just as he has set our lives apart in Christ, setting our lives apart day in, day out, one choice after another, so that you and I can glorify God. And if that's not our focus, we've got to make that adjustment now, right now. If we have a lesser focus than glorifying God, we've got to change that now. It, you can't wait. You will spend more of your time fighting the wrong thing, living in the wrong place, believing the wrong thing, if you don't settle that right now. You're, I'm not saying you're going to settle your perfection right now. I'm saying you've got to settle it in your heart. I want to glorify God. Jesus came so that I could be with him, so that I could follow him, so that I could live like him. You've got to settle it in your heart. That is the gospel, that we are transformed from the inside out to be like we were created to be, which doesn't look like us being first. It doesn't look like us getting the credit. It doesn't look like you and I being quote unquote happy. It looks like us being holy. It looks like you and I bringing glory to Jesus. It looks like him being famous. It looks like whatever it's got to look like for the son of God to be known on the earth. That's what it looks like. And I believe if a people can get a hold of holiness, progressive sanctification, sanctification, if we can get a hold of becoming a holy people, we will see something be uh, transformed in our generation like never before. I believe that God's calling this generation, this millennial generation, and the generation following, which are my children, to become a holy generation. That's why I won't speak uh, bad about them. I don't even like joking about the millennial generation. I don't think it's funny because I believe God will raise them up. And if we can speak behind them to become a holy people, they will be a generation that in the face of all the options... All of the sinful options, all of the choices, they'll turn their back on all of that and say yes to King Jesus. I believe that's the kind of generation that God is raising up. And we get to be on the forefront of that right here and right now. But we've got to make up our minds that there's nothing more important than Jesus and his gospel. We have to make our minds up about that. It has to be serious. It has to be, this is what I'm focused on. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm raising my kids towards. This is what I'm crying out to God for. This is, there's nothing more important in the world than Jesus and his gospel. And when we get a hold of that, 
Holiness becomes very important. What we watch or don't watch, or what we listen to or don't listen to, or where we go or where we don't go, all of that becomes important when we've got a hold of the most important thing. But none of it becomes important until we've got a grasp on that. It makes a lot of sense to move everything out of the way when you know where you're going. It makes a lot of sense to schedule yourself appropriately when you know where you're going and what you're going after. It makes a lot of sense to say no to something when you've already said yes to something else. It makes a lot of sense. Too many people are fighting the holiness war on like, can you listen to this and can you watch that and is it really bad to do this and is it really bad to do that and we're fighting the wrong, I, I feel like when I have those conversations with people, I'm already in the wrong place because we're starting in the wrong place. They want to know what they can do, but I want to talk to them about how you're called to live and what you're called to live for. It's better than that. It's better than negotiating with these minor things. Because I'll tell you, when you have a hold of that, you stop thinking like that. You stop thinking like that. People, um, my wife and I, see, I lived, uh, I lived a life of, of uh, you know, before Christ, of utter sin and, and drug addiction and sexual addiction and all that stuff. And then I had a supernatural encounter when I was 19. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 I had to change my thinking on a lot of stuff. For, first was for, for a guy, for who I was, it was my sexuality. I had to get a whole new mindset on that. I just had to admit to Jesus, like, I just have a horrible mindset when it comes to sexuality, personally. I just, I don't even know how to look at women, and I need you to transform that. I need that. Lord, thank you. And he gave me that. Actually, he showed me a picture of a, of a baby, and it was, I saw the innocence of a child. I saw the innocence of a child. That, that you can't, you, there's certain words that you say in the presence of a child, and they have no concept of that word whatsoever. It doesn't even make sense why that word would be in the presence of a child. A word that we might say, uh, even a Christian would say, maybe not a bad word, but it, in a joke, a, a spouse might say to their spouse, the way they look, you look a certain way, it wouldn't be necessarily bad, but a child would be so innocent, they wouldn't even know what that meant. And I saw a picture of this child, and I said, Lord, make me innocent like that child. I want my innocence back. Restore my innocence. I've never had it, Lord. I've never had it. Give it to me. And that's the vision that he showed me, and I prayed for that, and the Lord started restoring my innocence back to me. Give me the blush back. You understand? Give me my blush back, Lord. And when I come, something comes on television, that's what I, I feel. I don't want to watch this. I'm embarrassed sitting next to my wife that that would come on. And I turn it off because I'm, because I'm, not, I'm not invited into that. Not because I'm mad at that person. I'll pray for that. Oh, Lord, help that per, help her. She does not know her worth, her value. She sold herself to the other people to say, come on, Lord. She's, he sold himself for that. Lord, help that person. No, no, I'm not angry. I'm not demonizing. No, I'm just saying, I, I got the blush back, friend. I got the blush back. You know the blush? You remember that? Have you been desensitized to where you don't have that anymore? And so when I met my wife, I was single for three years, and I told the elders at our church, I was just passionate, and I said, when I, when I meet someone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, and I'm going to ask for approval, not because I need your approval, but because I want to live in the light, and I want to make sure that I do this the right way. I've never done this the right way before, ever. And I just want to do that. And so when I met my wife, we decided that we weren't going to kiss until we were married. And, you know, you tell people that. We didn't try to, like, gloat over it. But we tell people that. And they, they look at you like you something that fell off a wagon. You know, like you need to go back in a different time. 
And I can't tell you how many times that people said stuff either about us or to us. I'll tell you, it, there were days where, of course, we were like everybody else. You get temptations or whatever. But the goal, friend, it wasn't about being holy. It was the goal. The Bible says love is patient. That's the first thing love is. I will patiently wait for you, and I want you to know that you're worth the wait. This isn't the most important thing to me. You're what's most important. I'm holistically attracted to you. I'm not trying to get something out of you or something from you. That is lust. It's not love. And that's a testimony. It's a prophetic testimony of what God can do in a generation. There's no way young people can do that. There is no way unless it is supernatural. People say, oh, you're just telling everybody that's the way they should live? Maybe. It would be a lot better than what goes on right now. I mean, I used to joke when I was a youth pastor. I said, man, you know what the belt of truth is? It keeps everything on, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, this is, it's hard in this generation, guys. It's hard for people to say no. But with Jesus, it is possible, it is entirely possible to live supernatural because it is supernatural. We're not living by our compulsions. We are living by truth. And we pray into this generation that God will raise up a holy generation that will say no to ungodliness because they know what they're after, not just because they're trying to be right. I'm not raising my kids to behave properly. I want to raise them so that their heart is in this, that when mom and dad aren't there, they're still living by the value system that we've instilled by the word of God, not because they're afraid they're going to get caught, but we are praying into, we are sowing into our children being raised in a way where their value system goes wherever they go and there's no fear canopy or covering about what mom and dad are going to find out. That's not what we're looking for. And I would tell you the father wants the same thing for us. He is trying to raise kids, sons and daughters, where they're not hiding under this fear canopy of what gets found out, but they are in the light as he is in the light. And they're living in such a way where their hearts are bare before God and they're ashamed of nothing because everything is in the light. Nothing is in the closet. Nothing. Fully exposed. I mean, that's what I tell people. Look in my eyes. I'm not hiding anything. Nothing. You know what it's like to be there? It's not about perfect it's that you're not hiding everything, and you're clean. You are clean. You are clean. It is possible to be clean before God. And when you live that way, then you know what you're after. Then you grab a hold of what he's called you to. Living a holy life is about what God's called you to go after, not just what he's called you to stop doing. But if you don't, we don't get a hold of this, I'm just saying it doesn't happen. Setting our lives apart for the purpose of God in this generation. <laughs>